0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to RENAR Voice. I am your host, Robert Swatala. And with me, as always, at least through episode 14, my co-host, Jeff are you Jeff. Hey, Robert. Good morning. How was Easter yeah. for you? I haven't talked to you. We haven't done a,
1: a podcast since before Easter. Did you have a good time? You, you know, Easter is great because Lent is 40 days and Easter is 50 days. And Pentecost okay. is always. That's <laughs> right. <Okay. laughs> Somebody just told me that the other day. Pentecost is always like, man, I like that. So I feel like, you know, 40 days of suffering, 50 days of joy, and then an eternity of fire sounds good.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. i never heard of that before. Right. Do you have any traditions that you do over, over Easter?
1: Uh, the Easter egg hunt has become a thing. And um, my mother asked my daughter about the easter bunny and my daughter flat out said what easter bunny there's no easter bunny and i realized that i failed in that regard to even because last year the easter bunny was daddy because daddy forgot to buy candy so like there was just nothing so i mean my five-year-old's tell my grandmother there is no easter bunny my grandmother's like okay or my mother's like all right. So you got it. You got a, a long time of of disappointment ahead of you. I've yes. And then the problem that, was that. is like so we had the Easter egg hunt and a friends of ours pulled it off and it was great. And then you know the leftover candy we had stashed away like in a cabinet and everyone's in the kitchen and I just reach for the candy and I start eating the candy and my daughter's like what where did that come from? <laughs> and my wife's like are you serious right now? Are you are you kidding me? Like. Any sense of fostering our child's imagination is crushed by dad. (laughs) Yeah. Well, get used to it
0: because it won't be the first time you crush their hopes and dreams. Great. I can tell you that. Yeah. Something to look forward to. Hey, um, I want to get into today's guest. But before I do that, um, I know that we're a little bit different, me and you. And you're definitely more of a, I'll call it a philosophical guy. And I'm probably more of a data guy. Would Would you assume that that assessment is correct? Oh, yes. Yeah. It, yes. I think we witnessed that over uh, the last couple of weeks, but that's why I'm excited because we have, I would call more of a data research type guest today. And so uh, I'm excited to talk to Dr. Volk and could you take the moment to introduce our guest today, Jeff?
1: Yeah. So Dr. Fred Volk, um, we we came across him because of a Cessnet post that was going around around Christmas time. Uh, about the relationship between truth and science and reason and absolutes and objectivity and subjectivity. And and this this thread is going, and then I see Dr. Volk's response. I said, wait a second, he's a Liberty professor. And his response was just fantastic. So Dr. Kirk had suggested that we uh, bring him on. So for students that, that haven't had a chance to meet Dr. Volk, uh, Dr. Volk has actually been at Liberty since 2006. Uh, He received his bachelor's in psychology from Newman University in 1991 and earned his master's in community and clinical psychology and his PhD in human factors psychology from Wichita State University. Prior to joining Liberty in 2006, he was an adjunct professor in communication culture and technology master's program at Georgetown University. Dr. Volk has conducted research and designed user interfaces in applied settings for over 15 years in professional positions in advanced technology and engineering groups. Dr. Volk's current research interests focus on the impact of pornography use in both religious and non-religious populations. He has a passion for making multivariate statistics and research design more accessible for students and practitioners. So good morning, Dr. Volk. Thanks so much for being here.
2: Good morning, Jeff. It's it's nice to Jeff and Robert. It's nice to uh, meet you both.
1: Yeah, it is. And and, uh, I guess
0: from your bio, you are kind of like the perfect being of me and Jeff, because there's definitely some data research there, but I think there's also some philosophical concepts in a lot of your research. And I think that came through in that CISNET article that uh, that Jeff mentioned. So I wanna get right into this. And the first question, you mentioned that we often think and act with a conviction of our own rightness, and that we instead need to embrace our potential for wrongness. What does this look like to you?
2: What does it look like for me? I think the problem with always being right is that when you're wrong you're spectacularly wrong and by asserting yourself over and over again in your rightness you disqualify all the times you're right by that one spectacular wrong um and you disqualify yourself in that way so i think it's a matter it's a philosophical approach but it's a spiritual approach it's a scientific approach of how we look at the world and for instance uh i think i've seen both of you guys before today i think i've you both visually look familiar to me don't know that that's the case but i think you i think you do and i i think i would argue that each of us when we see someone for the first time we instantaneously judge instant just like that we perceive a situation And anyone who says they don't judge, they're just they're just lying They're—they're. That's just not accurate. You you are wired to judge every stimulus situation. That's how we walk around and live in the world. And for the most part, for the most part, we are right. We judge whether the floor is going to hit our foot every to every step we make. And one of the difficulties is we're right so often. Uh, even in the things that we're tested on, we're right so often, that we develop a pattern of rightness at the minute level, that motor behavioral level. And for some reason, when it comes to the complexity of judging Jeff's heart, I apply those same principles. I apply that same, I'm convinced of my rightness of Jeff's heart. And I don't, I don't know Jeff, and even if I knew Jeff very well, do I know Jeff's heart? I, I don't think I can say that. Um, I, and so, what that looks like from my perspective is, I think we have to walk around with a sense of humility. That what would we have thought or said when we met the woman at the well? What would our judgment be? Well, we we come kind of, from the scriptures, from the cultural stuff, from the research, the sermons, and I I trust that pastors that give me those sermons know the middle of the day idea, the seven husbands, the that sort of thing that. That this this woman, well, see, we're we we do not have the same advantage that Christ had. Christ's biggest advantage is his data was perfect. His ability to perceive the world without bias was perfect. And we don't know what that looks like. We have no idea what it's look like, what it looks like for us to perceive others without the looking glass that's shaded over. If we want to talk about being mistaken or judging others wrongly or being in the sin line, that's a pretty good line to be in from a human perspective and it's okay. It's okay to be wrong, number one, forgive yourself when you make poor judgments. Uh, However, to make better judgments of others and better judgments of situations, stop and attend really ask questions and particularly ask questions when it's your belief system that's being purported. So in politics, if you're generally conservative and you say, we need to repeal Obamacare. Well, okay. What does that mean? What what exactly are we going to do here? Repeal Obamacare. Oh, no, no, wait, wait, wait. What are we doing? Is that the right thing to do? What are they gonna be impacts? How have things adjusted since Obamacare was implemented? as the adjustments, been, have the adjustments been bad? Good, not, did it fulfill its promise? But what are the adjustments? So you can't just put a slogan out that supports your political view without asking yourself questions about, am I wrong? Do I understand? And we see this all the time in trying to understand others' positions, whether it's people who, um, Uh, People who are different from you, culturally, uh, racially, uh, religiously. Um, So to me, what it looks like is walking around the world more open to others' ideas, more with a higher recognition of your own tendency to misjudge, and particularly people. Misjudging people is so, well, by definition, we misjudge others. We, We do it all the time. Um, someone's reputation versus someone's actual personhood. There's often a delta between their reputation and their personhood, uh, and we often we often think of things culturally based on our own culture, our own spin. So, for me, it's walking around the world with a sense of humility to know that I have a tendency to be wrong it really isn't a question mark of whether i'm wrong or not uh the question is how wrong am i Uh, how misjudged have i the situation because i've misjudged the situation and i'm right a lot i'm I'm right in complex analysis a lot and still it's not how right i am or how definitive it's how wrong i am every time Uh, all nuance and it's thinking like a researcher helps you think that way as you get into the counseling field, um, as you work as a counselor, you are the reason we do evidence based practices because they mostly work and we can't trust Jeff to make up his own treatment because Jeff doesn't know enough. We can't trust Robert to make up his own treatment because why? Because we know this has been tested and we're going to do this. And when Jeff accommodates, boy, he better be careful. He better be careful because. You know this treatment has been tested in a way that should be unbiased and you're still gonna make mistakes you're still gonna make misjudgments you're gonna diagnose something wrong that's the way that's the just the way it is and so I think uh, there's a, a sense of humility and that humility focuses on judging two people all others judging them and it also focuses on judging yourself you have to learn to forgive yourself for your mistakes when Jeff takes candy out of the cupboard what are you doing Jeff how could you make this mistake? Right? He's got to forgive himself and and move on. That's what he has to do. He's got to forgive himself and move on. And that's what you need to do from a from a wrongness. Learn to be wrong. Know that you're doing the best I can. And it helps you forgive others. Maybe, maybe you had a mother who was who just wasn't a very good, mother, just wasn't very good. But there were lots of complications in her life. And you just, you just have to say, you know what? my mom probably did the best she could given the circumstances it was no good it was bad but she probably did the best she could and you know what i'm going to move on i'm going to forgive my mom even though she can't recognize that she didn't do the best i could it can be some pretty serious stuff that people have to step up and go you know what i'm going to withdraw even though i think I'll withdraw from judging that person in a way that is um puts them in a permanent state of other permanent state of darkness, putting people in the black and white category. You're you're bad, you're good. Because the truth is, Robert is neither good nor bad. He's both. Right? That's the truth. So that's what that's kind of how I try to uh, interact with the world.
1: Dr. Vogue, as you were sharing there, I mean, gosh, there's so much there that that we'd love to touch on. And um, You mentioned that piece about humility and there's a a medieval philosopher, Bonaventure, he says that there's an inadequacy to intelligence without humility. Um, and And I wonder, just kind of as a quick follow up before we move on, like, what does that humility look like in terms of science and trying to discern and describe what truths we can grasp based on the limitations of what's observable when it comes to the human person. What, what does that look like? And, and how do we maintain a posture of humility?
2: What is truth? What do you mean by truth? How would argue science is not about truth? I, I guess I would argue that the source of truth is God and the source of our source of truth is scriptures. You know, if you think the Holy Spirit is leading you to do something and it's contrary to the scriptures, that's a pretty good suggestion, but that's not the leading you're getting. To me, to me, when I think about truth, I think about the scriptures. Science is not about truth; it just isn't. It's about probability. Um, there are those who would say, "Well, that's re- that's not." That's a certain type of truth. As a philosopher, you said truth is what we know or what's passed down. Mm, okay, that's not what science is about. Science is not about truth. Anyone who tells you science is about truth is just misguided. Uh, at least that's what I would argue. Uh, there are those that would argue differently, but I think the it's about probability. It's about hypothesis testing. By definition, it's probability. By definition, even gravity is contingent. Those things we, that we think immutable and stable are contingent upon you know what planet are you on? Well, then it's a new formula, and then it's new. okay. So then our observable is different here than it is here. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I would make the argument that that science is science is about probability alone. Now there's facts that come through science, but even those facts are probabilistic in nature. To me, I would I think about those things as very very different. And then when we get to truth, then truth defined is defined by you know, immutable is defined by by what God says, not not what we say. But that then it becomes challenging. And I was reading, like I said, I was reading a board where there was interpretations of uh, women's involvement in church, and there was a discussion. Um, and that discussion says, "Well, someone that says this needs no interpretation. Really, is that what it means? It means no interpretation? Because that that would mean that any church, any nearly any church we see doesn't doesn't apply to that church. Even the church you're going to, by the way, buddy, doesn't apply to those scriptures that way." So it's very, so I think of it in those ways. What it does though is, and I think what's important about this is how does it guide your relationship with others? And as I think what's important, not only with your relationship with God, but how does it guide your relationship with others? And one of the things that it, that, because you're never sure, because there isn't truth with who Robert is, or truth with who Jeff is from from my view, I can't see you you accurately, that it requires me to attend in the present. It requires me to always be, always collecting data, always focusing on you in the here and now. Not the next thing, or the next task, or the next thing. But if I'm going to judge accurately, if I'm going to see Jeff for who Jeff is, or Robert who for Robert is, or whomever's in front of me, I have to attend to that person. And it's that focus, that presence, that has to be there for us to be good to others, for us to be effective ministers, for us to be effective counselors, for us to be effective mentors. We have to see who who we're dealing with and then help them in ways that make sense. Um, the way that works day in and day out is I had one semester, uh, it was Dr. Kirk's semester, where I had nine students that I was running through the dissertations that semester. Um, and they would all talk. And when they were talking in their group, they're like, wait a second, he's doing, he didn't do that with me. What did he, how did he do that with you? And the deal was, is I don't treat everybody the same. I tried to assess from a mentor perspective, where they are, what they need from me, how I, how I can assist them. And I wasn't perfect, I wasn't perfect. Uh, made mistakes, made mistakes. Mm-hmm. However, I was trying to deal with each person the best way I could. And so there's actually a picture on my desk of all nine of those folks, they're all, uh, they're, they, they took a picture together at graduation, we had that, it was fun, so. Um, uh, so that's an example of how that works day in and day out is uh, I just don't have my thing and it works for everyone. I have to figure out what's going to be the best combination that makes this person successful and this person successful and this person successful. That's how it works in day in and day out.
0: Dr. Volga, you mentioned science is about probability and I've uh, I spent a little over the last 20 years being a professional engineer. And I can say that everything Fancy that- Swears we- are
2: my favorite. <laughs>
0: They're my favorite. Favorite people. Uh, Here we go, Jeff. I told you he's a he's a man after my own so, heart. Yeah. Well,
2: engineers are so fa- my favorite people because they're so confident in their rightness. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! They're so funny. Um, be a psychologist. Be a, be a psychologist and work with engineers. And and they they and so my my professional work was with engineers constantly. Constantly working with engineers, and oh my gosh, uh, talk about talk about the easiest guys to flummox. That would be the that would be guys and gals are the engineers.
0: Well, I was just going to say it's so true because everything we do has a factor of safety built into it, and and not and uh, well, number one because of probability, and, and it's not often an exact thing, and obviously there's there's life uh, situations that you have to account for, but I, I do believe it's because you know we want to make sure that we're right so we build in these large factors of safety to make sure that we're right and we can say that we're right and we can put a stamp on on a report or a drawing that says i certify the rightness of this now is it is it technically sound yeah there's 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 equations there's formulas there's theories that we work behind but at the end of the day you're exactly right i deal a lot with stormwater, and i can't i can't design something for a major flood it's going to fail but i can say that it's it's going to work and be right 99 of the time um and until so it, you
2: get, until you get in one of the southern tier valleys where you get 11 inches of rain uh, 11 inches yep. of rain over a small area in in a matter
0: of ninety minutes. Yep, that's exactly right. And then the road washes out and they say why why did Be- it why did it fail? Because well. all
2: those towns are in little valleys and those little valleys go to other little valleys and other little valleys and other little valleys yes. and some of them are quite tight. Yeah, you you will you will have a flood. There are some yeah. some towns in, in that western New York who have a flood about every six to eight years. Because you can't account for the kinds of weather conditions that are ultimately going to happen.
0: Right. So so I say that because, you know, I love that that initial concept that you start with, that pattern of rightness. And I, I guess with that said, how would this I am wrong or I'm wrong philosophy, and we talked a little bit, I just hit a little bit on it, influence the science, the data, the beliefs, the hypothesis? Because I think most scientists, most research people want to be right. I think that's the, the, the objective is to prove. And, and while I think maybe the right approach is to say, I'm wrong, but I, I don't know if that ne- necessarily drives here's a, here's a thread, the, the Robert, research.
2: Robert, you're under grace
0: um, because you
2: used the word I would never use. And that's prove. I just wouldn't use the word prove. I think it's too definitive. So I'll put you under grace. Um, and and given you. your training as an engineer, naturally, Naturally, you have a tendency to believe in your own rightness. So I'll I'll, I'll put you under. Hey, Jeff is, Jeff is Early Early loving grace.
0: this. Jeff is loving this because I've spent the last thirteen Early episodes, t- you know, ripping on Jeff. So he, he, you are you are a man after his heart, Doctor Volcano. I, I, I went right to <laughs> I, When you
2: when you introduced, I thought, oh, poor Robert, he does not know what he's getting into.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> so. Did you hear but that laugh, no. uh, audience? Did you hear that
1: evil laugh? Uh, I uh, it's all part of my shtick.
0: <laughs> so uh,
2: the the issue, um, the real issue, the reason we, the real issue we we have here is because, and this is true for even guys like Jeff, he's confident of his rightness. You know, he's philosophized and he's already quoted one philosopher, um, uh, which to you and I, Robert, is quite obscure. Like, oh, okay. Okay um uh okay that's good uh he has a tendency to do so so we'll just we'll let him, we'll let him. does he get through an episode without quoting a philosopher by the way
0: well <laughs> he may do that but he does not get through an episode usually of, of quoting star wars there so, you go i mean they're both there about the same you know it and star wars they're, they're in the same boat
1: there we go he, he's that. dishing it out to both of us Robert. so that's
0: so he's interesting good. he's
2: good that's so interesting because i I could not find anything more uninteresting than Star Wars, <laughs> um, uh, Jeepers Creepers. Uh, if you add Tolkien to that, that would be that would be maybe that exceeds lack of interesting to me. Wow! Um, <laughs> so philosophers are love Tolkien. Oh goodness gracious! Yay yay! Um, but um, I would say I would say this: the importance of our wrongness and how we approach anything is because we're right so much, and this is true for philosophers, this is true for engineers, we're right day in and day out. And even in our domain, Jeff knows so much more about both of you are, are more accomplished in areas than I am accomplished in, for sure. And, and, I mean, Jeff, you have an MDiv, is that right?
1: An MA in theology, yeah.
2: Yeah, seriously. You know, that's, that's that's so much thinking about things that, that I – I just soon go do some praise music and be, you know, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm feeling good about my faith. I do that um, too. <laughs> uh, and so uh, for me personally, what I need though, because I'm right in my domains a lot, and you're right in your domains a lot, what we need is a, a reminder of the two by four. We aren't wrong. Um, we are wrong, particularly when it comes to judging others. Um, and we need that two by four to remind us. Goodness gracious, as parents, you know, if if you don't have a sense of self forgiveness, you're going to be a mess as a parent. <laughs> uh, because you know what, you're doing the best you can. Um, and if you're a young parent, honestly, I'm a grandparent, and if I wish I was as as knowledgeable and um, maybe wise. I'm certainly wiser at 57 than I was at 22. I wish I was as wise when I was 22 than I am now when I was raising my kids. I, I would have been a much better parent. But I wasn't. I wasn't. And so I have to you know, embrace my potential for wrongness and recognize that I was doing the best I could in the situation I could. Um, and I think that's the two by four we need to remind us day in and day out. Whether it's focusing on how we approach our work in science or focusing on uh, focusing on how we develop the relationships with the people in our lives. It's the same. Um, I don't have to move into classroom mode or move into science mode or move into study mode. I'm the same person and I have the same way of looking at the world, whether Whether it's solving problems in my relationships or solving problems that are research problems, they're not different from one another. Um, One of the things I see often when students approach research methods and statistics is they think it's a specialized approach or specialized knowledge. It really isn't. Uh, It is the approach that's used in that space that informs, uh, that informs the rest of our lives. It's like, wait a second, probability? It's about probability, and the answer is yes. When Jeff is attending, he is—he may have took the piece of candy out and done it deliberately, right? And then went, "Oh, maybe I should have thought about that differently," or maybe I should have attended. Uh, maybe I should have uh, should have thought of something differently, and that's just a little mistake, a little thing that he did that really isn't much of a mistake, but kind of a funny thing. But sometimes it's a big thing sometimes we really screw up right and we have to say you know what um i screw up that happens and now i have to move on in some way that's functional and, and move forward um, i find it so compatible with the christian life uh and the christian walk honestly uh, because it's one of the the cornerstones of our faith walk is redemption it's just Redemption, that you can have failure in your past and there is no past because you get a chance to redeem or be redeemed from that, to walk anew, that there is no past. Now, I say that. I say that because uh, even though there is a past, but your trajectory can change. And I mean, you're in a counseling program. What is your job? Your job is to change the trajectory of people's lives to get up in the morning and meet with people and change their trajectory. That's what you're doing. Um, And you, as a counselor, you have to believe in redemption. You have to believe in redemption stories. Um, That's what we, that's why that sense of wrongness. Your destiny is not your past. That's not your destiny. And so to me, it's not science, it's not personal, it's not professional it's a way of looking at the world that goes across those things and I think to me it's just not separate and if people are trying to think that there's just some specialized language over here in statistics and special ways of looking at the world that only Volk can do or people like Vol can do I, I would argue that's that's misguided. That's misguided. This is this is a way that all of us should look at the world. It's a biblical way of looking at the world and interacting with others. Because you're limited in your understanding, in your perceptions of others, in your ability. Every day, every day I wake up a sinner. Every day I wake up and you know the first thing I think about? You know my focus is on? Me. I focus on Volk. Like, oh, all the things I have to do, and I'm like, wait a think, stop, center, where should my focus be? It shouldn't be on me. It should be on what God has for me in that day. Who am I going to interact with? Who, who is the opportunity that God brings to me in that given day? That's where my focus ought to be. Not on my own personal issues or problems. Uh, that's not where it should be. So, um, to me, it's not, contained in this little space this practice space to me it's uh a way that all of us i would argue should look at the world and i think it's consistent with what the new testament calls us to be and calls us to walk in so that's uh that's what i think others may disagree and god bless them um, this works for me and how i want to interact with the world
1: and, you know, Dr. Volk, I, I hear there just this sense of, um, like, this holistic kind of wellness, which is so much a part of, right, our counseling profession, you know, the distinguishing characteristic, which Jane Myers, you know, talks about there, just this, the the wholeness. And I, And I hear that in your sharing almost as a way to kind of combat, I think, what we see is, like, this fragmented reductionist approach to the way that we think about things, the way that we approach science, the way that we approach people, the way that we judge. And just looking at our roles as Christians in a profession, which is largely postmodern, anti-Christian, post-Christian, whichever label you want to use for it. How do, how do we enter into this year? How do we keep a place at the table with our understanding of truth, which as you said is rooted in god rooted in the scripture which most of the professions aren't even going to look at how do we understand the relationship between faith and science and truth when many would argue that that so many of these things are not scientific and then they think that we as christians that we are just fide solo that we are just faith alone instead of fide ratio, faith and reason and just going back to philosophy and some talking about faith seeking understanding you know that's our position so how do we have a relevant place in the, in the conversation. And at the same time, how do we not be judgmental of those that would argue uh, against us?
2: Well, we see on Cessna, Cessna an interesting forum because it's written and you want to be deliberate in, in what you said. And I, I have only posted on Cessna once, uh, even recently they misquoted. Um, <laughs> this may sound strange, uh, but I am a, uh, Uh, Zora Neale Hurston just adore her literature, adore her literature, and they misquoted her uh, or misapplied her quotes and there was a discussion about race, which we often see on CESnet and they both, both people misapplied the quote, uh, both sides of the, and I almost stepped into it and I decided not to because it's. um, that's uh, was guided by philosophy so I haven't so I've even restrained in, in cases where I'm pretty knowledgeable and I do a lot of uh, I actually do quite a bit of research uh, focus on race as well but I didn't I didn't step into that foray because I don't think there's real reason going on. But here's what I would say from how do we stay at the table? We stay at the table by recognizing that those who have alternative views as are in this postmodern world. That their view that their faith is the same as our faith, uh, except they don't view their faith as faith. That's the problem. The, the issue is they view their faith as, as based on something else. But the truth be told, the truth be told that, that their faith in their progressiveness or their libertarianism or their uh, capitalism or their socialism or whatever ism they have faith in. Uh, Whatever systems they have faith in, their faith is faith. Um, There is, uh, I think, the way we stay at the table, the way we stay at the table is, first, we announce that our faith is faith. I don't think the Christian faith is the same as socialism. I think it's different. Um, You could argue there's an individualistic socialist aspect to the Christian faith, um, at the individual level, but not at a systems level. I don't think the Christian faith argues for anything from a systems perspective. Um, there are those who might say it argues capitalism. I'm not so sure that that's that's true. I I think I could elaborate that argument. Uh, but the principles: um, if Jeff needs Jeff's in my community and he needs something from me, I give that to Jeff. Right? Um, that my money doesn't belong to me. My money belongs to God. It's not my money. Right? So you could argue that that's the case. Um, but I think you put your faith and let it stand the test and recognize that it is faith. There's things that... You have an MDiv. Explain the Trinity to me. Good luck. Uh, good luck. Um, because there are alternative folks who, who think we don't have one God, we have three gods. Okay. Explain the Trinity. I don't think... you. I th- it's very challenging, right? Uh, I couldn't explain the Trinity, though tr- Trinity, the way I do it is, hey, uh, there's certain things in my faith I don't understand, but I don't have to understand it all. Uh, ironically, what's interesting, Robert, is the people who struggle with their Christian faith are the engineers, uh, because the pieces got all fit perfectly, right? Everything has to line up. Listen, there's some crazy stuff in the Old Testament I don't understand. And in the New Testament, the New Testament, uh, here's what I believe. I believe. First of all, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That's that's wackadoodle at a mystical level. I mean, that's he was dead. Not only did he, not that he was dead for a day, not that he was dead for an hour, three days, he was dead for three days. That's what I believe. That's wackadoodle mystical. Now, you can talk about uh, the evidence of people seeing him after he was supposedly dead and all those things, right? There's, there's good evidence that that's the case. So that's what I believe. That's crazy time. And yet it's what I believe. I don't understand it from a scientific perspective. So my beliefs in the Christian faith from other people's perspective would get me committed for being crazy, right? They would. You know, I talk to Jesus all the time. I talk to someone who is by all observable respects, not there. I do conversations that doesn't meet the requirements. So from their perspective, my faith seems pretty crazy, right? Seems out there. I have to recognize that and approach them with humility and just say calmly, listen, I'm a Christian. I believe in the supernatural. I do. I believe in the super, supernatural. You know, I grew up in the Northeast, so uh, you know, I'm, I you know, I grew up in Methodist church. So, if I'm, you know, when I'm when I'm really in the praise, my shoulder twitches a little bit, right? I'm in praise mode. My shoulder moves a little bit. I'm not raising my hands. I was like, "Whoa, easy there, big fellow! Raising your hands can't do that." Um, so, so that's not that's not what I do. But, uh, but I but I do believe in the mystic mystical things crazy mystical things that the people would define as as crazy um but it's not to me and so i have to recognize that that's their perspective or potentially their perspective um and so not that i'm putting my faith my truth what i believe to be true on level with their truth just recognizing their belief system is different it just is and we see this on a smaller scale What's the data say about race? What's the data say about anything? Racial differences are interesting because we can argue that if we go by math SAT, Asian people are smarter than white people, right? Asians outperform whites on the SAT. Well, is there anything in our melanin on our skin that says someone performed better than another that should predict that? Well, no. No, that's foolishness. Melanin does not predict math ability. It makes no sense. So whether someone's black, white, Asian, Hispanic, doesn't matter. There's something else going on. And that brings questions, right? What else is going on? Anyway, so we get a seat at the table first by having the humility to recognize that our truth, that what we believe to be truth as believers is pretty crazy to some people. It's pretty crazy. And that's okay. Um, I'm willing to be that crazy, right? And so, and how we stay, stay at the table is when we do our work that we expect no quarter, we expect to be evaluated. We don't submit our stuff to only Christian sources. We don't just write Christian books to Christian authors. We compete on we compete with others who are providing scholarship and knowledge to academic peer-reviewed journals, and we do not shy away from it. We don't gain respect by publishing only in and, when our, and, and honestly, when the results are contrary to what we believe to be true, we publish those results. Uh, you know, our studies are imperfect. Our data is imperfect. But here's what our data says. Uh, I personally believe that pornography use is bad for relationships. That's what I personally believe. Under some circumstances, is there's, there evidence to suggest that it is good for some relationships for a period of time? There is. There is there is some evidence or that it does no harm. There's evidence to suggest that's the case. That evidence has been going away even with secular researchers, even with secular researchers. Early on, when we first started looking at this, people were arguing it was benefit only. Um, And now that argument is less strong, less strong. Um, So the way we do it is seat at our table is how we do our work. When someone tells you they have a research interest, okay. Go to Google Scholar and see what they publish. If they're a new professor, you know, new to the field, they should, probably shouldn't have a lot of publications, but they should have building their groundwork, building their framework. But if they're an experienced professor and they haven't published in academic journals, I mostly wouldn't take them seriously, personally. That's me. Uh, they don't have research interests. They're teaching. And that's good. Good for them. But they don't have research interests, unless you're publishing in Bonafide journals that have refereed, uh, refereed and reviews. And that's hard because you get rejected a lot. You get rejected a lot. Um, and rejection is not that easy to handle. It's not easy for anyone. Eventually you get, you get used to it.
1: <laughs> I'm learning that <laughs> now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and
2: if you, have, if you have goals in the academic endeavors beyond your terminal master's in, in counseling, you're, you're going to need to get used to rejection. Um, and honestly, we don't get we don't get better by people patting us on the back. We get better when people critique our work.
1: Well I think sitting with you has been just a reminder that a little knowledge can be a really dangerous thing.
2: Um, <laughs> I don't know what that means.
1: It, it just it just challenges it's it's the intellectual humility, you know just that we can say that we have a certain level of expertise, but that's really relative to the larger scheme and that we may not be as... Savvy as we may think, you know, or whatever piece of paper says that we should have some type of expertise.
2: Humility is important. It's not what people think. It's not being Southern. It's not mm-hmm. being Southern. It's recognizing your wrongness or your potential to wrongness. And Here's the good news. The good news is that God's economy is perfect. That's the good news. And while I would argue that there is no past, the redemptive path is always there. I would also argue that God has a way of, ch- of using our, uh, and this is a quote that uh, Dr. Karen Pryor said. She gave a faculty combo one time. Um, and I remember it. And the quote I remember, and she attributed it to someone else, who, and, and his analogy was on the farm, God's economy is perfect. He has a way of using the, the manure from the chicken coop as great fertilizer to grow other things. In our lives, that's true as well. Our, our failures or our missteps of the past are good fertilizer for uh, to allow us to minister well in the present. I guess I would, you know, you're both in, you're both in, a, in a counseling program. And what I would say is there is no future. Uh, The ministry you have is the ministry you have today, not the ministry you have tomorrow, not the profession you have tomorrow. Your only ministry happens in the present. And today is when when you get to do that. And the great news in our faith walk is our calling is focus on the outputs of today and let God take care of the outcomes. Do your best work. Have your best focus in the present today. And God's got you covered for the future. You don't have to worry about that. Whether it's getting paid, whether it's um, whether it's hoping the best outcomes for your children, uh, hoping for the best outcomes from your relationship. If you do the right thing in the present, and do the best you can in the pref- present, you increase the probability of, of a good future. Uh, but the future, fortunately, is not up to us. God's going to take care of that. On the negative side, on the negative side of that equation, and I i know each of you guys, You know, both of you guys are old enough to know this, and, and I fortunately have not paid the penalty of all my sins. Um, I have made many, countless, countless mistakes when I wasn't walking in faith, when I wasn't where I should be at the right moment and right time, and you know what? Most of those state mistakes only got observed. Most of the mistakes I did not pay the price for. And I'm sure that that's true for each of you. You can you can thank God that he has not held you account to those mistakes. And I'm sort of talking about a worldly account. Maybe, uh, Maybe you had one too many drinks and drove when you were under the influence. And there but the grace of God that you hit someone when you're under the influence. Um, maybe you made some other mistakes, but most of us do not pay those prices. Most of us do not pay those prices. And so when we think about others who happen to be unlucky enough to be held to account for paying those prices, whether they're coming out of prison or whether they've been defeated over and over again, I think as counselors and people who minister to others, I think it's important for us to have the humility to recognize Hey, dude, you're no better than Anner. You haven't you haven't paid the price for your sins uh, on this earth. Not only do we not have to pay the price eternally uh, because of our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, but we don't pay can uh, we don't we don't pay temporally either for the most part. We do things wrong and make mistakes that that could have killed ourselves or others for sure. For sure and caused a lot of damage a lot of hurt so i would say that our best uh, our best to ensure that we're constantly kind of perceiving is to stay in the present Um, uh, stay in the present and and do that well and attend and always collect data and our data will be less biased not perfect because we're just not we're just not good at that I'm always thinking about myself,
0: <laughs> first <laughs> I'm not the only uh, I'm one. of
2: all, I'm thinking about myself and then I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a second, whoa. that's not, that's not your job, God's got you covered, you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be the task at hand, the ministry at hand, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Um,
1: so. Probably an author that you also don't like, C.S. Lewis, uh, he wrote that um, time touches eternity in the present.
2: I do like Lewis. Okay, good. <laughs> I do like Lewis. I do like Lewis.
1: You know, just, Um, just to close out, Dr. Volk, I just, I wanted to mention really quickly, just a story that, I mean, just listening to you is such a gift. I mean, we talk about sitting at the feet of the masters and you're definitely. Wow. (laughs) Well,
2: that's, that's funny. But I'm just, you know what? I'm just, I'm just little Freddie Volk from Western New York trying to, uh, you know, Cattaraugus County, just trying to do the best I can, Mm. trying to walk in the world and, and try to see it as accurately as I can, and and, and fulfill God's calling. It's and that's true, that's true. I'm but thankful to thankful to have talked with you fellows this morning.
1: You're certainly leaving a legacy, um, and and we're we're really privileged to just have this opportunity. And um, when you were talking about our place at the table and and being relevant as kind of scientists practitioners who are also Christian, and that those things are not exclusive. Um, and dialoguing with folks that might reject what we just assent to through faith, there's a there's a great little story that uh, two men in France were on a train and uh, they were sitting across from one another and the one man was was praying the rosary and the other man uh, was very much offended by this and uh, started challenging the man about his praying the rosary and, and just the belief in things that are, you know, myth and medieval and and, and whatever. and. And the man who was praying, he just listened politely and and dialogued and and, and kind of didn't get defensive or challenged him, just listened. And and the man who was praying, his stop came up first. And as he stood up, he gave that man his card and walked away. And the man who remained seated there after arguing and challenging this man who gave him his card, he looked at the card and the card said, Louis Pasteur pretty good example of uh, a scientist who can be a faithful man.
2: And I would like to see, I think there are a lot who are, even today, they just don't. um, It's just politic to claim it boisterously. And we put a lot of emphasis on boisterous. Right? We, We do we, we like the bold and the boisterous whether we're you know regardless of our political affiliation there's no one who likes the likes the quiet and the humble or even the authoritative and the humble we don't see humility in our politics that's for sure that doesn't that doesn't score points humility doesn't
0: thank you so much uh for this time it truly was a treasure i thank you just for the insight the wisdom I'm sure Jeff really thanks you for the uh, the knock on on engineers. Uh, he will he's probably gonna frame this uh, episode. For, I know that's right. For, yeah, for his. so so you just made you made his he started saying he was having a bad day. I think that's turned around because I know and, he made his day.
2: <laughs> engineers are so shocked when when the psychologist can outmaneuver them. It's uh, it, <laughs> I would argue them. They're like, what, what just happened? There's, yeah, <laughs> uh, there's, it's not it's not difficult to argue, folks who g- are generally very rigid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> engineers are, are funny a funny lot. So, you as a count, it's it's funny. You're 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 an interesting combination. Moving from moving professionally, you're you're moving to your second career. Uh, I assume from counselor to engin- yep. engineer to counselor, and and the other engineers must look at you like, okay, is is he okay is there some, oh i've gotten
0: that... that i've gotten that over the last couple of weeks when i've made the announcement there's been some uh, some some questionable comments <laughs> making sure i'm okay not yo, is, a crisis you know everything yo, alright yeah yeah is yeah. everything alright why yeah. are you why are you doing this yeah. this doesn't make sense yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i've gotten that too so i bet you have yeah <laughs> So yeah, Dr. Volk, thank you so much. Uh, this was an absolute joy. Um, so much good stuff there. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm honored and thankful for you to be on and taking the time, investing in, not just in us and our listeners, as well as as Jeff mentioned, the legacy. Uh, that you're leaving behind. Um, you know I know you talked about humility, but I just want to thank you for all that you do and and again, very humbled on my end to be able to spend this time with you and just just learn so thank you for investing that into us and our listeners. we really
2: appreciate all it all right i I appreciate the time I spent with you guys. Uh, love to chat anytime anytime Absolutely. Uh, it was it was fun to kid with you and uh, <laughs> all right well bless you guys. you have a great one.
0: thanks Dr. well appreciate it. And I want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen today. And we just hope that you will continue to listen. Thank you very much and have a blessed day.